one of the greatest authors, theologians, and philosophers of our modern day is a man by the name of Dallas Willard. Willard passed away in 2013 at the age of 77. He did, he did his undergraduate degree at Baylor University. I say that for my wife, Sikkim. Um, he completed his graduate work at the University of Wisconsin. Go Badgers, I don't know. Um, but he wrote dozens of books and taught at the graduate level for over 50 years. In fact, 48 of those years were spent teaching in the philosophy and religion uh, department at the University of Southern California. Willard's work and thoughts have deeply impacted my life and Alan's life, Trey's life, and probably many of your lives, whether you know it or not. Back in the 1990s, a young and up-and-coming pastor called Dallas on a landline. If you don't know what a landline is, kids, ask your parents. Make me feel old. In their conversation, this young pastor asked, Dallas, you're a wise spiritual mentor. What do I need to do to become the me that I want to be? Because we all want to know that. We have a version of ourselves that we want to be. I don't know about you, but I often fall short, especially apart from the spirit of God. What do I need to do to become the me that I want to be? What's the, thing, what's the thing that's separating you and God? What's the biggest challenge that human beings face when we're trying to follow Jesus? Well, before I give you Dallas's answer, I think if we were to go around and ask ourselves, we'd say a lot of different things that are separating us between us and God. Maybe habits, addictions, the over-sexualization of culture and media in our day and age, violence, hate. Greed, like Alan talked about a couple of weeks ago. Or maybe you'd go a little bit further and you'd say, the thing that's separating us from God is lust or jealousy, nationalism, bad Christians. Parents, you'd say it's TikTok and Call of Duty, which is kind of true. <laughs> Selfishness or racism, politics, all of those are great answers, but I don't believe that they're at the center of the target of what separates us from our heavenly Father. Back to our story in the 90s, young pastor asked Dallas, what do I need to do to be the me that I want to be? And after thinking about it for a moment, Dallas responds. He says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The young pastor, this was before tweets and uh, writing things on an iPad, he wrote it down in his journal and after some silence he said, man, that's a good one. Now, what else do I need to do? What else do we need to do? What do I need to teach my church? And Dallas responds, there is nothing else. Hurry is the greatest enemy of our spiritual life in our modern day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, as you and I try to draw closer to Jesus, or no matter if you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet and you're just here for the first time, we're glad that you're here. But after we hear something like this, we're, we're probably thinking uh, one of two things. The first is, that's the best you could come up with? <laughs> Stop hurrying? Like maybe you should have went to A&M or UT, Dallas. <laughs> don't you think of all the things we talked about, the things getting between you and, and God or me and God, the best you could come up with is hurry. And yet some of us, if we're honest, I think at our soul level, we feel this. 
It's almost like we feel seen or validated or heard. We're too hurried. We're too busy. If you don't believe me, uh, just pay attention to the way that you respond to the question or the way that people respond to you when you ask them, hey, how are you doing? I talked to a couple people in the lobby this morning. Not, they didn't know what I was going to talk about today, and I was secretly judging them because they said, I'm busy. I mean, I'm good, but man, I am tired. This is a common response in our modern culture. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what race or ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what you do for a living if you're unemployed, underemployed, uh, retired, or working, single, married, a young adult, or an empty nester. Yes, even you students, high school and college students, are probably too busy. I want to propose today that hurry is the thing that's beneath everything. Under the anger, under the jealousy, the anxiety, the other mental health stuff going on in our mind, the lust, the digital distraction, the materialism, the exhaustion that we have, all of it comes back to hurry and it's driving a wedge between us and God. And as you familiarize yourself with the Bible, we start to see that there is an enemy out there that's trying to drive a wedge further between us. And I don't think he's a little guy in a red costume with a pitchfork and a little cute red tail. He's much craftier than that. In today's day and age, I would propose that you're much more likely to run into the enemy in the form of another push notification on your phone or in a weekend Netflix binge or in our obsession with social media, the long nights in the office, the other sports league, the traveling sports league that we sign our kids up for, the ever-growing list of commitments that we tie ourselves to. It's hard to follow Jesus when we're in a hurry. Jesus summarized kind of his whole teachings. We find it in Mark chapter 12, where he says that the greatest commandment for you and I in this side of eternity is simply to love. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. But it's hard to hurry love, right? It's hard to love in a hurry. Just ask anyone who's been on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Love and hurry are incompatible. It's like Android users and iPhone users. Snakes as pets, it just doesn't exist. Vegans at a Brazilian steakhouse. Alan in his skinny jeans again. Kim and Kanye. Love and hurry are just not compatible. But let me be honest and be transparent for a moment. Some of the worst moments of my life as a person, as a, as a, as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, are when I am in a hurry. When my bottom line becomes proficiency or efficiency or productivity instead of the person that's sitting there across from me. I'm at my worst when I'm in a hurry, when I uh, lose my cool with my kids or my wife. Almost every single time, it's because I'm in a hurry. When I'm running late to church because I decide to stay in bed and scroll through my phone a little bit too long. And on the way to church, I'm yelling at my kids, I'm yelling at my wife because we're running late, because we decided to wait to the last minute and hurry. In those moments, I'm the opposite of kind. I'm the opposite of loving. And I bet this is true of you too. 
Like, are you at the best version of yourself? Are you following Jesus closely when you're sitting on traffic or on 1604 in traffic and you're late to your appointment? Of course not. You get frustrated, you get angry, you get mad, and it's because we're always in a hurry. Perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, when he was talking about love, the first thing that he uses, the first adjective he uses to describe love is patience. We cannot live in the kingdom of God and live a hurried life. Hurry keeps us from loving others. Hurry keeps us from exhibiting peace, patience, and kindness. And worst of all, hurry distracts us from the creator of the universe, our heavenly Father. When we hurry, we lose. Could it be that Dallas Willard is right? Could it be that some of the other spiritual giants of today's day and age, like Henry Nouwen, Richard Foster, Eugene Peterson, and C.S. Lewis, who all talked about this, are right? That our over-busy, digitally distracted lives of hurry are the greatest threat to our spiritual life in a modern world. Fortunately, it's not all doom and gloom. There's a solution. There's an antidote to hurry. And it's simple. We must learn to live a slow life. Instead of being busy, what if we were bored? Instead of being in a hurry, what if we simply went slow? I mean, it sounds great. It sounds nice. But we have a hard time getting there on our own. We don't just drift towards slowness. In the same way that we don't drift towards Christ-likeness, we have to develop these practices or these rhythms that help us to draw closer to Jesus and to even slow down in life. That's why followers of Jesus for thousands of years have done these things called spiritual practices, spiritual rhythms, or spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call them. And we could do an entire sermon series on all of these spiritual practices. And maybe we will, but today we're going to look at three of the most basic simple and yet profound rhythms that you and I can embrace to combat hurriedness in life. It's a perfect weekend too because the first unofficial but official weekend of summer. It's an opportunity as if the calendar is inviting us to reset our lives before we jump back into the busyness of fall. Now, what I'm uh, going to talk about today, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of books and podcasts and videos and resources out there online that you can research and go much deeper into each one of these. In fact, you could spend your entire life studying spiritual disciplines, but the, I want to make a recommendation to each of us and invite you to put this book at the top of your summer reading list. And it's this book that I read recently that has re-inspired me or re-encouraged me to engage these practices as a follower of Jesus. The book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by a pastor, and uh, uh, um, he's since left the church, but a pastor up in Portland. This book is so amazing. It's a very simple read. In fact, I bet you'll read it in your next vacation. You could probably even read it twice. The book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. The first practice that we're going to look at together today dates back to the start of creation. We see it in the book of Genesis, and we see Jesus living it out and teaching on it in his, modern, in his life. The first rhythm that we can engage or embrace to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our life is to embrace Sabbath. 
Now, this word Sabbath seems very religious, and it kind of is, but it means simply at its core, its definition means simply to stop. Sabbath is one day a week where we literally just stop. We stop working. We stop wanting. Stop worrying. Stop striving. Stop climbing. Stop hurrying. We're not talking about the California rolling stops through a stop sign like I have. We're talking full stop. Like my wife, every time she's driving, she comes to a stop sign, and it's like a full stop, like the momentum of the car hits the front suspension and then rocks all the way back to the, the back of the suspension. I think the car's broke down. But she's simply just stopping, and that's what Sabbath invites us to do. It's a hard stop once a week. And it's more than one day off of work. It's an invitation for us to find soul-level rest. It's not sitting on the couch and watching movies all weekend, vegging out, although that sounds nice. That won't lead to the type of soul rest that Sabbath invites us into. So we rest, but we also worship on our Sabbath day. And I don't mean just singing Christian songs, although that might be part of it, and part of your Sabbath might be coming to service here on Sundays, but we get to expand our understanding as we're embracing Sabbath of what it means to worship. Perhaps worship for you on a Sabbath morning is sitting on your patio, drinking a cup of coffee, and eating some bacon, because bacon's amazing. Watching the birds flutter or the squirrels play in the tree. Maybe it's sharing a nice meal with your friends or family, a long, unhurried walk around the park. One of my favorites on Sabbath is taking a nap. I had a day off the other day, and um, oh, it was Monday, it was Memorial Day, and uh, <laughs> we were kind of busy, we were planting flowers and doing things around the house, and my little son, Sloan, who's four years old, came up to me and said, Daddy, it was your day off, you didn't take a nap. <laughs> I was like, that's right, buddy, I didn't. Naps are good. Sabbath isn't just a day to run around and catch up on errands. There's no prescription or recipe for a perfect Sabbath that kind of defeats the point. But the most important thing is that we set aside a day a week for nothing but resting and worshiping our Heavenly Father. And we could talk about this all day long, as I mentioned, but let me give a couple of helpful tips about Sabbath that I've found in my ebb and flow of embracing and living out Sabbath in my walk with Jesus. The first is to turn off your phone. As a result of reading this book, I, I started doing this most Friday nights, Friday afternoons, late evening, or e Friday evenings, I'll turn my phone off. And I don't turn it back on until Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, and it has been so freeing. I found that I'm less hurried, and I'm much more, obviously, uh, present with my family. It's not perfect, and I'm not perfect at it, but it's a great thing to consider. The next thing is to just experiment. Experiment with the Sabbath. Jesus says that Sabbath was made for us, and so we can experiment. There are times in my uh, walk with Jesus where I didn't have kids on my Sabbath because I often sit at a desk throughout the week. Uh, I would sit in my garage, and I would build things, and I would do woodworking, and I loved it, but it doesn't fit in this season of life. And so I've experimented. With three little kids, we try to go to the park, or maybe we'll go to the gym together, and then we'll try to go to the pool. We just slow down and experiment ways to rest and worship. Don't be legalistic with Sabbath. 
Jesus talked about this. Be flexible. There might not be something that you love to do on your Sabbath, but don't be so rigid that you uh, isolate yourself or become legalistic or lose the heart behind Sabbath. And I know that this sounds crazy. For some of us, you're like, you don't know what I do. You, don't, you haven't seen my kids. There's no way that I can embrace Sabbath in my life. I taught on this several years ago, this concept of Sabbath, and a, a young woman who was up and coming in her uh, professional career came up to me and said, there is no way I could do this. No way. I said, okay, tell me more. So she went on and on and on, and guess what? A couple years later, she had quit her job. She said, you know what? I'm tired of rushing, of living the rat race. And so she decided to take the most drastic, dramatic step. She quit her job. Second rhythm that we can engage to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our lives is simplicity. One way to live a less chaotic life is to live a simple life. Because as one Christian author said, the drive to possess is the engine to hurry. The drive to possess is the engine to hurry. You and I are living a hurried life for a variety of reasons, and probably one of the biggest reasons is that so, in, so that we can buy things with money that we often don't have to impress people that we don't even know or don't even like. The simple way of living doesn't mean reorganizing the pantry or the garage for the seventh time after being inspired watching a Netflix show. It doesn't mean spending more money buying containers or a label maker. If you've got to go that far, you probably have too much stuff. It's deeper than that. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament uh, writers put the materials that you and I need to about two. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul writes to this young leader, uh, Timothy, and he says this, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Now, Jesus and the early church leaders didn't live in 2023 in South Texas, so I'd probably add a few more to the list if I could. Food, clothing, we probably need some shelter, and we definitely need some air conditioning and Wi-Fi. <laughs> For real, this, this uh, food and and clothing is all that we need, it sounds crazy. We could never do this. But that's because we're never content. We're inundated with media and marketing. These companies that are worth billions and billions of dollars are researching us, trying to find ways to get us to think that we need the greatest and latest thing that they're selling. We keep chasing bigger, better, faster, trendier? What if the only thing that we needed to truly live a rich life is contentment, like Paul is talking about? It sounds amazing. But this simple way of living, it doesn't mean that we live with nothing. It means we live with less. It doesn't mean that we don't have nice things. It just means that we have less of them. It doesn't mean we need to go out and sell all of our stuff, but it might. Doesn't mean we need to downsize or downgrade, but it might. Let me give a couple of tips to live a more simple life. And I'm not perfect at this, by the way, but some suggestions. Live by a budget and stick to it. It seems basic, but it will save you so much pain and hurry and chaos in our life. If you don't have a budget, sign up for our next financial peace class. Come talk to me. I love to set up budgets and talk about budgets because odds are the majority of us in here are facing some level 
of consumer debt, in large part because we've not lived a simple life embodied with contentment. We go outside our income. We go on trips that we can't afford. We have the latest trend in shoes. We buy cars that we can't afford. We eat out regularly, and it's all adding up and creating chaos and hurry in our lives. Set a budget, stick to it. Get into the habit of giving things away and start in your closet. The best part, I think, of living a simple life is when we get to give things away that you and I don't actually need to people who actually need it or can actually use it. I assure you, the majority of us in here today have too much stuff in our closet. And it's kind of stressful to maintain it all, to care for it, to see nice clothes that are still on the rack or still have the tag attached on the, in the closet that we've never worn, or the clothes that no longer fit us because, of course, we've lost too much weight. <laughs> Give it away. Be content. Live a more simple life. And to be honest with you, living a simple life isn't the silver bullet. It's not going to create a calmness or a slowness in our lives, but it is an answer. And so I want to invite you to consider living a simpler life. The last rhythm that we can engage to eliminate hurry in our lives is to slow down. And I know what you're thinking, like that's the best one that you could come up with, right? But I think we need to name it. It's kind of like the whole budget thing. It's basic, but it's true. We need to be, it's basic, but true. We need to be intentional and simply slow down. Stop hurrying. When you look at the life of Jesus, I can't find one time that he was in a hurry. Quite the opposite. He moved at a very slow, methodical, thoughtful pace. And he invites you and I as followers of him into this way of living. He invites us into an opportunity to slow down our bodies, to slow down our lives, maybe even slow down our souls, so that as the author of Psalm 34 says, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. We live at such a hurried pace in our life that we often take the good things of this world and in our life for granted. The smile from a stranger, the baby giggling next to you, the flower blooming along the trail, the sunset, the beauty of the horizon in the hill country. We're moving at hyperspeed and moving so fast that we cannot simply enjoy life and see that God is good. Well, how do we do this? Well, as one author and pastor says, we have to cultivate patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in a position where we simply have to wait. Let me say that again. We cultivate patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in a position where we simply have to wait. This is hard in the day and age of Amazon. This is hard in the day and age of DoorDash and groceries showing up at your doorstep. But there's a few ways that we can patiently and deliberately put ourselves in a place where we have to wait. First one I want to suggest is pick the slow lane. If you're driving and you're on 1604 and you're like me and definitely like Alan, you're in the left lane going over the speed limit. But what if one of the ways that we deliberately slowed down was to stay in the right lane behind the semi, behind the grandma, 
What if we actually chose to drive the speed limit this week? If you're at the store, pick the longest checkout line. And I know that this sounds crazy, but do it and do it with joy. Take the extra time to talk to the person in front of you or behind you. Or maybe to simply just pray. Resist the urge to pull out your phone when you're in the long line and surf the internet. We'll get to that in a second. But be gracious and kind to the clerk who's probably stressed out and overwhelmed that day. Pick the slow lane. Pick the slow checkout line at the store. Band, you guys can come on up. Last thing I want to say, and speaking of whole sermon series, but the last suggestion I have is to master your, start, your smartphone. Don't let it master you. I have a love, a true love-hate relationship with my phone. I hate it, and I love it. And I love it too much some days. And I'm not alone. There's a $409 billion industry out there trying to get our phones to master us. We have apps, notifications, the color of the notifications, the updates, the trends, the news. It goes on and on. They are spending $409 billion a year trying to get our smartphones to master us. But it's time that we flip the script, that we master our phones. Turn off push notifications. Delete the news app on your phone. You don't need it. Mom, you don't need it. Delete the social media apps on your phone. I'm not telling you to get off social media, although that's a good idea, but set a time to sit at your computer. You can log into every social media app on your desktop. Sit there for 15 minutes and go through social media. Delete email off your phone. You don't need it. Put your phone on do not disturb. Here's a, a, a good one. Don't text and drive. Don't bring your phone into your bedroom. Use that old school alarm clock. Charge it in a different room overnight. And if you think you're perfect, try not touching your smartphone for the first hour of every day. I could preach on this all day. But in order to slow down, we've got to master our phones. We touch our phones, researchers said, 2,617 times a day on average. And if you're like me, you pull out your phone not even thinking about it. But what if you and I, instead of pulling out our phone, touching our phone, looking at our phone 2,600 times a day, what if we simply inserted a simple prayer there? Or not even a prayer, heck, just a thought about our heavenly Father as we're calming down, as we're slowing down. Imagine what would change in your life. Now, you guys know my heart here. A sermon like this can come across as pretty practical, pretty, uh, pretty legalistic, like just a bunch of things that you have to do. Or like if you do these things, you get a gold star on your Christian chart for the day. That's not where I'm coming from. Or am I saying that you have to work to earn God's love and acceptance as if driving the speed limit or taking a day off of week, a week to rest and worship will make God love you anymore? He loves you already. It's not my heart. It's not our heart, and that's not God's heart. All of this is grace. But for us to shake the addiction to speed and to hurry and to efficiency, for us to truly grow closer to our Heavenly Father, to be like His Son, Jesus, I think you and I are invited to follow the words of Dallas Willard and ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our life. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you first and foremost for your grace. As each of us in here, none of us are experts in following you. Yeah, I would bet the majority of us are in a hurry, already thinking about the next thing, already thinking about tomorrow and the 8 a.m. meeting and the prep that you need to do, we need to do for it. But yet, God, you invite us to slow down. Thank you for thought leaders like Dallas Willard who have encouraged us, maybe even convicted us, that the number one thing driving a wedge between you and us is hurry. I suspect as we do our best through your spirit to eliminate hurry that lives will change, relationships will change, as we find contentment, we we'll no longer need to strive. We we'll no longer need to earn. We'll simply rest in your love for us. Thank you, Lord. Pray these things in Christ's name.